So I'm pleased to be uh, offering this uh, third session on developing skillful speech, wise speech, right speech, mature speech, uh, speech that connects us in understanding and compassion. I've tried to develop a sequence, and I wish I had 15 sessions. <laughs> I told you last time I was inspired um, I've been inspired by teaching longer retreats on the topic over the last seven years and um, gave one of those retreats along with uh, Nyanika Orensofer, who also came here uh, a few weeks ago. And we offered a seven-day retreat at the end of May. And I've been inspired to um, offer that in, uh, in a kind of a sequence. And so the first session... Uh, which was uh, two weeks ago, gave an overview of the nature of uh, skillful speech practice, uh, wise speech, right speech practice, and emphasized several different uh, tools that we looked at in those two weeks. And that recording, as well as recording from last week, is on Dharma Seed. So we looked uh, in the first week at the four ethical guidelines, which is my own reconstruction of the core teachings of the Buddha on wise speech, which are to help us be truthful, to be helpful, to be coming from a good heart, and to have appropriateness of speech, especially involving good timing. And we looked at that uh, we looked at that the first time, and I gave a, a brief review of that last time. We also started to emphasize the inner practices related to right speech, which are not very explicit in the teachings of the Buddha. That we find, uh, I think, a general assumption that people will be mindful. And so if you look to the core text on the foundations of mindfulness... There's a passage, this is uh, Majjhima Nikaya 10, a Discourse on the Foundations of Mindfulness. You'll find a passage where the Buddha says, develop full awareness whenever you are walking, whenever you are standing, whenever you are lying down, um, whenever you are sitting. Develop full awareness when you are extending your limbs. Develop full awareness when you are eating. Develop full awareness in all activities, and he mentions develop full awareness when you are speaking, when you are being silent. And so I think there's a kind of implicit inner practice in speech, but that's not really developed in an in a, um, explicit way. And part of what I've been drawn to do is to help develop those inner practices of speech a little more explicitly with practices and techniques. And uh, so the, one of them that we developed, that we offered in the first time, was the simple practice of pausing. When we're in the midst of speech, pausing and being, just coming back to inner experience. There's a counterpart of that that Thich Nhat Hanh developed called the mindfulness bell, which is, can be used in groups and is often used in meetings. Many of the places that I've been, or organizations I've been part of, we have a bell that's rung every 20 minutes, and at that point, people stop and pause 
and come back to themselves. And uh, in some organizations, uh, in our meetings, uh, people use the mindfulness bell strategically. When they feel a little bit of tension arising in the room, all of a sudden, ding. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating what it does. You know, people can be just starting to get into something, and they actually come back to their body, their breath, a pause just for 30 seconds. And they come back maybe to their deeper intentions for connecting in the meeting. Right? These are all people with practice. And somehow um, there's like an, can often be an intuitive unraveling of the tension. Not a suppressing of it, but often people just come to see, oh, you know what I really was wanting to say was. And they, they uh, have, just in those few moments of pausing, often a shift a reflection and so forth. So we offered that tool and then very much encouraging us to keep with developing uh, our tools as we continue to practice. Practice one or two at a time. You know, one encouragement that I've been offering is to practice one or two tools each week and, and to d- develop them in, in one's uh, repertoire. And you might want to you know, practice them in a sustained way. That, that takes intention that takes really being clear, remembering, setting your intention in the morning. Intentions, very fundamental aspect of speech practice because things happen so quickly. How do we work with clear intention? You know, so it, it might be, as I men- I've mentioned, uh, when, when I've been more explicitly practicing the four ethical guidelines, uh, truthfulness, helpfulness, uh, uh, coming from a good heart, timing, and so forth. I've sometimes written those down on a piece of paper when I'd be, in a, be at a meeting. That would help me with intention. You know, and I would notice, uh, oh, and I, sometimes I'd keep a mindfulness log, you know, where I'd be no, noticing content, meeting going well, you know, then impatience, <laughs> irritation, negative thoughts, rehearsing in my mind, and the mindfulness and the intention. Uh, often would help those negative thoughts, as it were, stay private <laughs> and not be expressed. Which these, this is, you know, in, in one way small, in one way big, right? You know, we know that in our in our daily lives. And so uh, last week, I introduced <clears throat> two further tools, we might say, or two further uh, areas by looking at the. Uh, partly a further development of the sense of having presence as we're in speaking and listening. And I invited us even as we're listening to a talk, can you stay somewhat present to yourself? It could mean just having a little bit of awareness of your hand on your knee or or of your body. We find that body body awareness is very, very central to developing presence during the act of speaking. And these are not beginning capacities. You know, I, I mentioned uh, last time that actually the ability to be present, to have both inner and outer awareness at the same time, is at least an intermediate and probably more of an advanced capacity. And so it presupposes that we've cultivated mindfulness. It presupposes for, for most of us that we have some pretty good connection with our body which I certainly did not have when I was starting to meditate. And for me, that's been a capacity that's taken time to develop. 
could be developed in yoga, walking meditation, just really coming back to the body. But I'm, I'm wanting to give those practices because we can do those in small ways and beginning ways, such as just to, when you're at a meeting, try to have a little bit of inner presence, stay present to what you're doing. Particularly can be done when we are less active. You're at a meeting more receptive, keep awareness. You're watching uh, television, watching the news, watching a movie. Experiment with keeping a little bit of inner awareness during the news. What's going on when you watch the news? might lead you to watch less of the news, I don't know. And so we also then started to look at the quality of empathy, which is, again, a way that a word wasn't used by the Buddha, but I think it's a development in a more explicit way of what we mean by speaking with a warm heart. Empathy is the capacity to be with another in a connective way that there can be compassion, there can be a a sense that I am tuning in to what this person is feeling, to what matters for this person, and so forth. And I mentioned last time that a lot of the recent brain research suggests that we are actually wired for empathy. That is actually, we have to, often through difficult experiences, we unlearn the capacity for, for empathy. That's actually there in, particularly in the limbic system of the brain, which connects us where we actually are, are built to be tuned into others. And we actually, partly through cultural conditioning, partly through difficult experiences, often as adults we have to relearn that. And maybe we relearn it at a higher degree of development or sophistication. But, and so part of what we're doing with our speech practice is relearning our basic capacity for empathy. That we, it seems we have to make that explicit. And in developing the practice of empathy, um, we're particularly, and I say we, my collaborator, colleague, Nyanako Orensofer, we've made use of nonviolent communication, which is a discipline that's been uh, developed, uh, particularly by a man, Marshall Rosenberg, who's a psychologist who... uh, was particularly influenced by the traditions of humanistic psychology, you know, uh, developing in the West, particularly in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, Psychologists like uh, Carl Rogers, Abraham Maslow, uh, James Bugenthal, who lived around here, and so forth. And probably many of you have been influenced by that kind of psychology that really has influenced a lot it's influenced the so-called human potential movement a lot, and a lot of what uh, has developed in psychotherapy and so forth, as well as organizational life. And so Marshall Rosenberg, uh, in developing nonviolent communication, was interested, and he used the word nonviolence to have connection with the traditions of Gandhi and King, and to suggest that there could be a kind of commu- communication which was about developing love, connection, and peace. And so it's a model of communication, an analysis of communication, which is explicitly designed to work with the intention to connect empathically with another. That's at the heart of it, that core intention, to connect empathically, uh, compassionately, and so forth. And 
the, the analysis was that a lot of our everyday speech actually doesn't do that. That a lot of our ordinary speech is at the level of thought and it's awful, often at the level where we actually don't really connect so well with each other. And I'll, I'll say more about that in, in looking at um, some uses of language. In the, in the nonviolent communication model, there's particularly an invitation to look carefully at four different areas. And I'm going to be emphasizing two of them today. One of them we looked at last time. And that is to particularly look at emotions or feelings and also the quality of what matters. What, what in the language of nonviolent communication is called needs. Both uh, Nyaniko and I actually prefer other language. Need uh, has a lot of connotations which we think are sometimes unfortunate. We prefer something like what really matters for a person or what a value is, what a value is for the person. And the whole aim here is to develop the, the capacity to empathically tune in to what one, oneself, to what I myself am feeling, but also to what another is feeling, and also empathically tune in to what another is feeling and what seems to matter for another. Now we do this naturally with people we're close to often. Not always, but often we do this. And again, it's really, in some sense, a natural capacity. What the you know, developing discipline of nonviolent communication contributes and is uh, giving attention to these areas. And Yaniko and I have interpreted the whole discipline of nonviolent communication uh, really as a contribution to mindfulness practice and to wise speech practice. And the, there's, a, there's a good blend because actually nonviolent communication, even though there's an emphasis on feeling, it doesn't really tell one how to actually attend to feelings, how to be mindful of feelings, how to uh, work with them. And there's a lot in our meditative traditions, we have a tremendous amount on that. So it's a natural marriage. And we've interpreted, again, nonviolent communication somewhat as a subset of mindfulness to say, look here, look here, look at feelings, attend to that mindfully in yourself and in another. Okay, attend to what really seems to matter in oneself and another. And then particularly, uh, and then in one's speech, as a contribution to speech practice, there the, the emphasis is particularly on connecting, much as we do in our meditation practice, with direct experience and being very careful about the interpretations, stories, evaluation, blaming, judging, and so forth. So in many ways what this is about is trying to go to a more direct level of experience. The whole philosophy is that that becomes actually a way to connect with another, to connect with life. Life, The life energy of a person is often expressed through the emotions and through what really matters for another person. And that when we often find ourselves primarily with thinking and primarily with um, narratives, stories, interpretations in which we've moved uh, somewhat far away from direct experience, it can be harder to connect with another. And 
even more so when we find ourselves with difficult speech interactions, almost always we'll find that we move away from direct experience, we move away from empathy. Think of a a conflict with another person. Part of the definition of a conflict is that there's a kind of polarization in which we each have positions. And the empathy somewhat goes out the window, right? And I don't really have so much interest. Oh, this person with whom I disagree, I wonder what this person is feeling. Or this person who's just said something, quote-unquote, nasty to me. I wonder what that person is feeling, what really matters for that person to have led that person to speak in this way. Right? <laughs> right. And so you can see that part of the approach here is to keep a kind of openness. Right? And to actually have the clarity of intention to say, I want to stay with my intention to connect, even when I have difficulty, even when I have a conflict. And so the tools are valuable, I think, in all contexts. They're particularly valuable where there's some difficulty that we have either personally or interpersonally. And they can be very valuable. And actually, uh, having also um, studied and, and taught sometimes on conflict uh, transformation, conflict resolution, it's sometimes called. Very, very similar tools are used in the field of conflict work. That the way that one works with conflict especially is to move away from positions, move away from the dichotomy of polarized positions, and move to actually what actually was happening for this person, what actually mattered for this person. And so in conflict work, One tries to get beneath the story to what really matters. And a lot of the philosophy in conflict work, and maybe maybe I'll come back to that in some future teaching here, Uh, but a lot of the philosophy there is to say when we really tune in to what matters and move away from the positions and away from the blaming, away from the judging, away from the storyline, we often can connect and actually find a win-win solution. When we stay with the positions, having some resolution is very difficult because they're usually diametrically opposed. But typically positions cover up what we're feeling and what really matters for ourselves. You know? And so um, I should give and maybe give a brief example of that and then, I'll, then I want to go into some exercises. Um, and so, for example, um, I have often found in difficult interactions, you know, that, uh, for example, someone might, uh, um, let's see, let me see if I can think of an example. Someone might be very frustrated by my way of speaking. You know, I might speak slowly. And the person might be frustrated and really impatient and say, can't you speak more quickly, right? But if you actually go beneath the surface, what the person wants is better communication, right? And I might be really frustrated by the person continually criticizing how I speak. And what I really want is better communication, right? And if we stay with the slow versus fast, it's a contradiction, right? And if we actually tune into the other person's feeling frustration, I'm feeling frustration, and the other person wants better communication, and so do I, then we have the potential to actually connect. 
Does that make some sense? And we'll, we'll explore this experientially. So one of the uh, very helpful tools, uh, or set of tools, that's given in nonviolent communication is to actually list uh, these emotions. To, and this is what we have on our sheet. We have a list of a number of emotions because part of what we need to do as we're, uh, as we're developing more skillful speech is to become, as it were, more emotionally fluent to actually have a larger repertoire. It's also something that we develop in meditation. As we sit and notice, okay, what's that? What's that? What am I feeling? Especially if we do retreats and we sit hour after hour. Okay, what's that? What we over time do is we actually, dis- we actually develop the capacity to become more fluent, to say, okay, that's irritation, that's frustration, that's anger, that's rage, <laughs> right? And we can distinguish between them. And we have this increasing emotional fluency. And that, comes, that becomes a very valuable tool as we are also working in speech. And we also start to have a kind of fluency in knowing what uh, needs are or what, what is especially valuable. And it's taken, and this is part of the philosophy of nonviolent communication, that needs or values are universal or close to universal that we all have needs for connection, for love, for being understood, for feeling connected to others. For we have, we have a need or we value actually being uh, capable in expressing our, our work, our, our skills, our gifts, right? That we have that kind of need. That we have a need for meaning that we have a need that our experience be meaningful rather than completely chaotic all the time. And all these are a little, there are a lot of subtleties to this, but this is at least the philosophy. We have a need for beauty, for, for peace, and, and so forth. We have, obvi- we have obvious physical needs for nourishment, for sleep, for rest, for, you know, to be physically healthy and so forth. And so I don't want to so much get into the subtleties here, but more to have this be a kind of tool that we can we can work with, okay? So, a few exercises, and I'm going to um, do, do, I think, uh, two exercises. The first is going to be just to gain more uh, experience with the tuning in to the emotions and tuning in to the quality of what matters. And the second exercise I'm going to do, I'm going to start to apply this to a difficult or conflictual situation in your own life. Okay? And we'll, do, we'll resolve those issues in about 10 minutes. Okay, okay. so uh, ready? Ready to go? Okay, so I think enough background. Then we'll have, my plan is to have two exercises, each about 10 minutes, and we'll have about 10 minutes for discussion, for, for, for um following up. Okay. And there's a lot more I could say. I have a lot of notes that I didn't even get to, but, but that always happens. Actually, I didn't even look at my notes much, but that happens also. Okay. Um, so, okay. So, first of all, with mindfulness, find a partner and sit in physical proximity to that partner, partner so you, you'll be able to speak to that partner for the next 10 minutes. Introduce yourself and then bring attention to the whole group.
Raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Okay, everyone have a partner? Okay. So everyone's introduced yourself. Now the first exercise will be similar to what we did last time. We're going to add the dimension of what matters. So just to prompt us, I'd like to uh, do something like what I did last time, which is to just talk about my, we're going to be, in the end, each talking for about a minute about something that happened yesterday or today or recently that was meaningful. So just think of something that's meaningful that you could talk about in a minute. And I'll give an example. Uh, yesterday, and, and okay, now here's the exercise. Um, maybe first, yeah, yeah, first just think of something that happened that's very ordinary, that was meaningful to you, that happened in the last 48 hours. Could be that you, know, you had a good conversation with a friend. Like the one I'm going to choose is I taught yesterday and I really enjoyed it. I'm going to talk about that a little bit, right? So very ordinary. It could be that you had a good meal, you took a hike. Very, we're not looking for like, the breakthrough of the sacred in some explicit way and some transcendent experience. We're not, okay. If that happened, fine. But. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, so mine, I'm, I'll talk about this, and here's the exercise. As I talk, bring your empathy senses to the fore, and tune in as I'm speaking to what my feelings are, as you best you imagine them, and what matters for me, okay? And there can be multiple things. So what are my emotions, and what matters for me? So yesterday, I was um, teaching with my colleague Heather Monroe Pierce. We taught two days on uh, embodied awakening through meditation and sacred dance. And it was so much fun. And I, you know, I get to dance more than I ordinarily do. I should dance more. (laughs) And we had two one-hour dances each day, and I really enjoyed it a lot. And Actually, some of you from yesterday are here, and enjoyed it, and uh, I thought we really uh, collaborated well together, or, you know, been teaching for six years, and it really is growing, our ability to uh, teach well together. Okay? So, okay. so first, um, the invitation is, what were some of my feelings, as best you imagine them? You can just speak out, out loud. Joy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, name, name more of an emotion. This is where we, where we, you can even look at the sheet if you want. Connection might, there might be a sense of connection, but I'm not sure that's an emotion. So part of what we're doing here is to get more clear on what emotions are. Belonging? Appreciative, yeah. Belonging might be more of what matters, and connection might be more of what matters. Yeah, I could, yeah. Delighted, yeah. Excited. Excited. Even adventurous. Yeah, maybe adventurous. Satisfied. Yeah. Satisfied. Playful. Playful, right. Energetic. Energetic, okay, great. So, very empathic group. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. I think actually you don't need any more practice. Go home. <laughs> okay. And what, what really mattered to me? And this is where I think maybe Debbie, your comment, and yeah, belonging. Connection, right. Right. And what else mattered to me? Learning. Learning. Yeah. Creativity. Fun. Fun, right? Sort of growing and expanding. Growing, expanding, learning, yeah. Yeah, maybe meeting uh, physical physical expression. Maybe we, like we go to, you're, you're on the trail, but I think maybe we would say meeting physical needs for expression, something like that probably. Maybe one or two more. Play. Play, yeah. We could take that to be a core need. Inspiration. Right. Inspiration, a need for inspiration. Great, so again, see, it's not so hard, right? What's interesting is that it's not hard when we do it, but often we don't intend to do this, right, in our speech. And when there's difficulty or conflict, it's like the empathy shuts down, right? It's not hard, we're wired for it. And so we have to really, we have to keep intentionally practicing this until it gets to be second nature or something like that. So it's not easy, right? to keep practicing. Okay, so you get the sense. So let's work with the group, with your dyad now. And uh, we'll each have a chance. And um, raise your hand if you're willing to go first in the group. Okay? Okay? Every, okay, great. And so remember what to do. The speaker will just speak for a minute. In fact, I will ring a bell. It's easy to go on for five minutes about something meaningful that happened yesterday. Just do it for one minute. I will ring a bell after one minute, and we'll stop. At that point, the listener will do pretty much what you did with me. You'll say something like, I sen-, you'll do both feelings and needs at the same time, feelings and values. I sense that you're feeling this because you need this, or because you value this. I, you know, I sense that you're feeling joy, because you were able to play or something, because you value play or you value. And you could say a few things and you could name a few emotions. So is that clear enough? Okay. So, and that will just take about a minute itself, a minute or two, okay? And then we'll switch roles. Okay, so the whole thing is very brief and I'll ring bells to help us time. I'll give maybe a minute and a half for the listener to speak, a minute for the speaker, okay? Clear enough? Okay. So, as I mentioned, we work a lot with intention. So now set your intention for each role that you're taking, either as the speaker, but especially as the listener, to really tune in to feelings and what really matters. Set the intention and I'll ring the bell to start in about 10 seconds.
So just have the speaker finish your sentence, and then we'll invite the listener to say something like, I, se- I sense that you were feeling this, and you valued this, something like that. Okay. So if the listener can finish up, and I'll just invite the uh, original speaker just to say maybe one or two words, you know, did, did that, how did that feel to be, did you feel heard? Yeah. Yeah. And how did it feel to be listened to? Okay. So in whatever way you'd like, uh, thank your partner. And now we'll switch roles. Okay? So we'll go now, the listener becomes speaker, speaker becomes listener. So we'll again set the intention for the speaker. It's to talk briefly for about a minute about something meaningful that happened recently. And for the listener to particularly tune in to feelings and your sense of what matters. Okay, and I'll ring the bell to start in about 10 seconds.
So I have the speaker just finish up. <clears throat> and now, now have the listener, have the listener say what you heard, something like, I sense that you were feeling this and that this is what really mattered for you. Okay, so now for the listener to speak, about just about a minute and a half or so. So now finishing up with the uh, listener. And again, I'll invite, when you finish up, uh, for the, the, the second speaker, just to uh, reflect uh, how it felt. Um, how many of you felt uh, pretty well heard, empathically heard? And how did that feel? It's actually quite good. <laughs> That's the correct answer. <laughs> and, and was the other person reasonably accurate? Were you asking everybody or just a Just within your dyad. Yeah. Okay. Now, now we'll do the second exercise, and this actually, uh, you can come back to your original place. This doesn't involve uh, a dyad, so thank your partner, whatever way you'd like. And here's, for the second exercise, bring out your half piece of paper and your writing implements. Okay? And here are the instructions. First of all, on your half piece of paper, divide it into four quadrants. That means horizontal line in the middle and vertical line. <laughs> <laughs> Finally taking advantage of my graduate education. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, hold it uh, with the longer side uh, horizontal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, and we want to name the quadrants. The... Um, 
left-hand two quadrants, you can put right at the top, are me. You can put me. And the right-hand two quadrants are the other person. Okay? I'll say who the other person is in a moment. Okay? So, in other words, left-hand two quadrants are me, the right-hand two quadrants are the other person, and then the top quadrants, left and right, are feelings, and you can put that right on the left, maybe. Right on the left, those are feelings, and the lower two quadrants are what matters, or values, or needs. And you can just put that on the left. So, so essentially we have a, a model here where we have the feelings and what really matters, both for myself and for another. Okay? Now, this is to, we're starting to go into the territory of bringing our speech practice into some difficulties or challenging situations with, with this exercise. So bring to mind a difficult interaction involving speech with another person that you can just think of one particular interaction. There might be a whole history, but just think of one. And this is a person with whom you have a difficulty, not the most extreme. On a scale of 10, not 10. Everyone wanted to totally resolve your scale, your degree of difficulty, 10 issues, but that'll be next time. (laughs) This time, think of something in the range maybe of 5 to 7, something like that. Okay, so just reflect on what interaction you want to uh, work with. It should be a very uh, um, specific interaction that you actually remember. You remember pretty well. Okay, and then then what we just everyone have one anyone. Everyone have a situation in mind? No. No? I think truthfully, I don't really get it. Would you mind restating what it is we're supposed to do? Like, let's say you had a difficult interaction with someone. Let's say uh, you had uh, with a partner, with someone at work. Let's say you just had an interaction and there was some difficulty, tension, conflict, difference in the interaction. You may, you know, it may be you, just, you had with your partner... Where should we go out to eat? I want to go to a Chinese restaurant. No, I want to go to a, uh, I want to go to an Italian restaurant. We've gone to Chinese so many times, yeah, and you always get your way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so it could be something on that on that order, right? Okay. Or something at work, something with a relative. Okay. Everyone have something now. You need, need a little? Should I sit, give another example? Would that be helpful? So, you know, it could be something at work where um, maybe you made a proposal and someone who was uh, higher up really told you, just sent you a very quick email saying, no, no, we can't, I cannot approve that. So there's, there's a kind of something involving speech. Email is a form of speech. And there was some difficulty in the interaction, Okay. So, imagine that situation, and then first start with, say, filling out the four quadrants, saying, what did I feel, and what was my sense of what really mattered for me, 
And then the hard part is, this is bringing empathy to someone we have some difficulty with, what do we sense or imagine the other person felt in the interaction, and what do you imagine really mattered for the other person? Okay? So this is just to be done on your own. You can just fill out the uh, four quadrants. Yeah, and you may want to use the uh, sheet that I gave you to be more explicit about which emotions there were or what really mattered. We'll just take a few minutes for this. And again, there can be multiple emotions, can be a few emotions and a few values, but do this in a way so you can finish just in maybe two or three or four minutes. You could obviously take 20 minutes on this, but do do it so we can come back to uh, talking together soon. If you can, take about another minute or so. Is that going to work? people have done enough to come back to the whole group and talk some? How many people need, uh, need some more time? Okay, great. I um, wanted to just say one further word about 
the dimension of values or what matters, and then just hear from everyone. Um, one of the important distinctions that's made uh, is between what matters or a need or a value and a strategy by which one tries to get or actualize that value. It's a very important distinction that when we go to the level of values, we want to really see something that's like what on that, what's on that list, like peace, you know, ease, calm, connection, and so forth. So, for example, someone who drinks a lot or uses um, other kinds of drugs may be actually acting to find peace or to find relief, which is a, a genuine value. The strategy may be very problematic, right? Or I may want to have a very efficient meeting, efficient, productive meeting. And so being efficient and being coming, you know, meeting our meeting our goals could be is more of a universal value. The fact that I do it in a totally controlling manner, that's a strategy. (laughs) And that's where it becomes very that's a very helpful distinction because we're empathic towards the value while recognizing that the strategy may be problematic. Right, so very key distinction. So any questions, observations? We can maybe we can talk about both exercises. Um, how did it feel to be heard with care and with attention? That's always good. Hmm? It's always good. You know, sometimes you know. Sometimes we reflect. You know, I, I think I and friends often reflect that what we most want as human beings is simply to be heard and cared for. And if that happens, everything else is dessert, <laughs> so to speak. Right? And just in the act of empathy, there's, that can happen. Right? That, that being heard, being understood, and in a sense, attention, we sometimes say, is actually a form of care and love. Yeah. Any, any observations? Questions about anything? Yeah. In the in the interaction I chose, when I, when I thought about the values and needs, yeah, um, it became clear to me that I and the other person shared mm-hmm. right some of those same values. However, we disagreed on 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 um, the evaluation of the behavior in question. Right. Um, um, and so that disagreement was not resolved in the course of this yeah. interaction. Um, so I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, so, so it was a comment about uh, in working with the looking at feelings and what, what matters in the case of a difficult interaction, you actually saw that what both parties wanted, what both people wanted was the same, but there was a disagreement about the uh, how to do it, the means, how to do it, and what this um, approach would really help us to do is to uh, actually, and there could be some frustration, is that if we actually can connect on the level of the emotions and recognizing that we share the need or we share the value, it takes a lot of the tension away. A lot of the tension is somehow in thinking my way is the best 
or this is the best way, or your way is wrong. And there might be an opening to recognizing that both of us may have some of the truth, right? And, and, that, uh, and that we're actually, as it were, our hearts are in a good place. A lot of what happens when communication breaks down is we tend to question the motive of the other. Uh, I don't know if that was the case here. But the, 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 the other was a Marin County Sheriff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other was a Marin County Sheriff who, who uh, may have had uh, only room for one interpretation. It's possible. But, but you see, so this is getting partly in the distinction between strategy and the value. But when you recognize that the value is shared, it actually can change things. And then, then it maybe is an inquiry. If it's not, it, it makes it less charged. And then you could, might say, oh, you know, um, uh, Chinese or Italian, right? Uh, if we say, okay, what's the value? Okay, when I say Chinese food, I, it's um, maybe uh, I haven't done it for a while, or I want to, you know, and or it reminds me of our you know, where we first met, or whatever, you know. And there could be a value, and when we bring the values out, they're actually we see the other more as a human being, and there's more room for, for really for uh, caring, uh, give and take, you know. A lot of times we take the positions, uh, you know, in, in conflict work, it's a techn- the, sometimes the language you use, there's a position, there's an underlying interest, which is more like the value, and you, we find solutions by going to the level of interest. And the position, you know, again, the position is Chinese or Italian. We try to find out what's the deeper value there. It could be Oh, I, I was feeling romantic, and that Chinese restaurant just reminded me of ten years ago, and you know, whatever. Or Italian, it might be. Uh, I want, uh, you know, novelty. We've gone to Chinese restaurants the last thirteen times. <laughs> so anyway, so when we see that, then then there's more room for give and take. Yeah, please. Yeah. Well, my situation was more. Um, uh, a, a challenge of styles. Yeah. I mean, the need and value is basically the same. Yeah. But the style of um, if I ask, he feels like I'm prying. Yeah. And if he doesn't ask about me, I feel like he doesn't care. Oh, yeah. So is the caring too much or caring not enough? And neither of those things are true. Yeah. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, what what I want about from somebody with their communication yeah. and what the other party wants. He wants to offer information, but don't be asked. And mm-hmm. I want to be asked and not necessarily offer. So that's when we get into a, you know, a challenge, even though what it is is we love each other and care about each other yeah. and are interested. So <laughs> the, the, the approach here is to bring out the, the feelings and the values mm-hmm. rather than take them for granted. Like, the, the sense is basically that when we bring out the feelings and values, the heart opens. You know, that when we say, I'm feel, I've been feeling really frustrated. And that's where the statement of feelings is very important to actually speak about one's own experience. Last time I mentioned how there are what could be called faux feelings that sound like feelings but involve interpretation and blame. Like when I say, I feel manipulated which is not 
by most psychologists account an emotion. <laughs> right? It's not an emotion. It's a very clear interpretation. It sounds like an emotion. It sounds like someone's talking directly out of the heart. It has that linguistic appearance, but it's not. Right? And so the idea, so we really want to be clear when we talk about emotions that we actually are speaking emotions and not saying, I feel, I feel deceived, betrayed, manipulated, you know, and so forth. And the idea is that when we actually say those and the other person's heart is open, which isn't always the case, then there can be uh, um, an easier way of working with differences which are inevitable, right? How do we navigate these differences? We have different styles, right? Different styles can be a source of learning, right? They don't have to be only contention, right? But it, it's, um, yeah, and there has to, has to be some openness, and none of this is guaranteed to work. <laughs> Sorry, should have said that earlier. <laughs> Meaning that uh, people's hearts are sometimes closed down because of wounds or all sorts of reasons, and some skillful speech is not going not gonna to resolve 20 years of wounds. Right? It can help, but it, you know, there, there are limits to this. But these are valuable when there are shared good intentions. Yeah. Anything else before we were about at time? Maybe last one, and then we'll, then I'll, then we'll bring before it to a close. Before we close, could you give us the Thomas Merton quote? Oh, <laughs> okay. I had asked about that, and then when I didn't use my notes, uh, the moment where it would have been most appropriate came and went. <laughs> okay. uh, yes, fine. And uh, okay, so I'll finish with with uh, two things. One is. Uh, you know, I'm thinking that I would, would love to continue the speech series even though I'll come back in four weeks. Would you like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, okay. So that'll be August 7th for the next one. So, so I can give you... Uh, we ha- and the, this talk and the others are in Dharma Seed. We have had different suggestions of uh, tools uh, for each time. You remember the first time was work with the ethical guidelines and the sense of pausing, just so we're not quite on, on so much on automatic in our speech. The second was to try to develop some sense of inner presence in your speaking and also start tuning into feelings. And so the tool really being offered this time is to work with, uh, to work with feelings and needs for what matters. You can use that uh, model of the four quadrants. It's a very helpful model. You can use it for yourself you know, or just to tune in I'm feeling some difficulty. What am I feeling? And what really matters to me? It's a kind of self-empathy, we could say. And it's very, very skillful to do this, to use these tools. Very simple, right? Very simple. And to, if you have a difficulty or a conflict, you can use the model just as we did. I have found it tremendously illuminating. It cuts right through the chase because we do get caught in positions, interpretations, evaluations, blaming and judging. And this helps us cut through that. And it, as does our meditative practice, you know, where we're really trying, which can help us to really know what am I actually feeling. Okay, so that's the suggestion for 
uh, the next period of time. Again, you can use the recordings. And I would suggest if you're really into this, uh, since I've named at least five tools, and you want to work, you know, you could work with some of them for two weeks at a time or one week at a time and do at least a week. So I've named five different tools so far, the ethical guidelines, pausing, having a sense of uh, presence as you speak, inner and outer awareness, working with feelings, and then fifth, working with feelings and needs. And maybe we could add as a sixth, you know, using that for difficult or conflictual situations. So I would suggest for most of us to work with what we did today, work with this tuning in empathically to feelings and needs. Okay? How does that sound? And we can compare notes. Okay. I'll end with... uh, I'll end with Thomas Merton. The deepest level of communication is not communication, but communion. It is wordless. It is beyond words. It is beyond speech. And it is beyond concept. My dear brothers and sisters, we are already one. We imagine that we are not. And what we have to recover is our original unity. What we have to be is what we are. And there can be communion in communication. (laughs) I think that practice of empathy goes in that direction. Thank you so much for your kind attention. And may this be beneficial to ourselves, to all those with whom we're in contact, and ultimately to all beings. And to the communion of all beings. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.